Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I'm so happy that you're here today as we continue in our series called Game Changer. In fact, we have an outline for our message. It's a gold-colored sheet found in your program. Let me encourage you to take this out and use it to follow along. And let me remind you, last week, we talked about how a game changer is a person whose choices and actions change the outcome. And we're doing this series because we believe that God is calling each one of us to be a game changer in our different arenas, in our workplace, in our families, in our marriage, at our schools, and even right here in our church. And here's the good news. God wants you to be a game changer, but he doesn't expect you to do that all by yourself. God loves you. He wants to help you win in the game of life. So he has given you a team, a family, a church. And this idea of like living your life with team spirit, that, that understanding Christianity is a team sport, that's what we're going to look at today. And so Karen and I thought it'd be kind of fun to do the message as a team. And so hang on. Here we go. <laughs> well, good morning, Crossroads. Can I ask you a question this morning? Honest confession, how many of you had to rush or hurry this morning to make it to church on time? Or forget on time, how about just getting to church, period? Yeah, yeah, had to rush a little, had to hurry, hopefully not in the car. Always say rush till, to the car, but not in the car. So, yeah, I want to tell you a little story about a time I had to rush. I wonder how many times you have made a stupid mistake because you were in a hurry. Well, here is mine. Uh, last month, we had a family of six from France staying in our home for a couple of weeks. So my plan was to go with my dog to stay at my mom's house for those two weeks. So this is my dog, Gidget. She is 15 years old. She's older than that now, but she's only about 12 pounds. And Gidget and I went to stay at my mom's. And after one night there, my mom had a tiny stove fire in her place, which wasn't a big deal until they came in with fire extinguishers blazing and snowed her entire apartment. So now where do we go? So mom and I go to a temporary place, and we had just moved in with all of our stuff when it was time to go upstairs to the dining room for dinner. Well, my cousin came to join us, and we were all very excited about the dinner and having that time together. And uh, I hesitated for a moment as we were running out the door, as we were rushing out the door. And I hesitated about what to do with the dog. And my cousin and my mom, they both said, oh, just leave her on the balcony. She'll be fine. So I look at the balcony. I look at this heavy iron chair that I could barely move. And the leash that was attached to it, my dog in her full harness. And uh, Okay. So I ran out the door. And we went and had a wonderful dinner, laughing, being together. And then when we came back, I walked in the apartment. And I walked onto the balcony. And I saw the iron chair. And I saw the leash and the harness and no dog. And I realized my dog had jumped off the third story balcony. Well, you can imagine my panic. And I ran downstairs and looked around for her. And when I found her, she was OK. And she was fine. And I thank God that he is a God of second chances and uh, that my blunder didn't cost us dearly. But so I took her to the animal hospital. She was fine. Um, but, you know, sometimes we are rushing through life so much that we can make some stupid mistakes. There is an African proverb that goes like this. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So do you want to go fast or do you want to go far? 
Because I can tell you, you will go further in life. You will become more and more the person that God intended you to be, the best version of yourself fulfilling his purposes for your life. If you go as part of a team, a tribe, a life group, a church, going together is always better. If you make an effort to build a band of brothers and sisters around you in your life, it can change everything for you. We say often, uh, work smarter, not faster, right? Not harder. Work smarter, not harder. If you, no amount of rushing or working hard can make up for what God can do through you if you are part of a team. A lot of people try to go it alone in life. They say, I don't need anyone. Or how many times have you heard this statement? I don't need organized religion, right? Those are lies because we need each other. God made us to need each other. And we are just better together, right? Following Jesus is a team sport, not an individual sport, but on your outline, following Jesus is a team sport. And Paul is going to come and show us what that looks like. Awesome. So, hey, hey everybody, if following Jesus is a team sport, that implies that we need to be team players. And I want to tell you, in the Bible, it talks a lot about, like, the qualities, the characteristics of being a team player. And I, t in our message today, we want to highlight three of those. So there on your outline, would you write this down? Like the first key quality of a team player is team players focus on team progress over personal performance. Team progress over personal performance. In fact, I want you to think about it this way by looking at the difference between these two teams. The first team is the Lakers when they had Shaq and Kobe. Now, how many of you remember those days, like back in the day when Shaq and Kobe played together, they were awesome, they won a championship together, and they were like considered like the unstoppable force. In fact, together it was, it was thought that they would win three, four, five, six championships together. But guess what? Because they focused on their personal stats. Because each one of them, they wanted to be the guy, the superstar. They refused to play together, and it broke up the dynamic duo. And then the Lakers, they didn't win a championship till several years later because those guys did not play as a team. Now, you contrast that with Steph Curry of the Warriors. I want, yeah, amen. <laughs> Think of this one. Now, we love Steph Curry because he's a great player in his own right. But can I tell you, one of the things that makes him truly great is he's a team player who's willing to lessen his stats, lessen his score, be less of a hero to make room for like Kevin Durant and other players on the team so that the Warriors can win more champions, championships. In fact, I put a great quote from Steph Curry there on your outline where he said this. Steph Curry said, I'd rather be a non-all-star playing in the Western Conference Finals than an all-star who's sitting at home in May. Friends, I'm sharing all this because so many times we, want, we would rather be the hero of our own team than being a part of helping others win together. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to come back to the Bible, to the book of Philippians, and we're going to walk through Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, through chapter 2, verse 11, and see how Paul is trying to teach us that following Jesus is a team sport. And I want to highlight that he doesn't just teach it. I mean, like, he models it. 
Last week we talked about how Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he was sitting in a prison cell. And his life was on the line. But here we have him. He's, he's more concerned for the Philippians as a church than he is about his own personal situation. And then he writes to the Philippians to encourage them to find their joy in standing together as a team. And so there on your outline, he starts out in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. He starts out by saying these words. He said, above all, you must live as what? Citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy, in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now, would you underline the phrase citizens of heaven? What that means is that when you become a Christ follower, your fundamental identity it shifts. It's like you transfer your citizenship. I mean, think of this this way. If, if you're living in the United States and you have your own passport, it's like you're transferring your citizenship from a citizen of the United States of America where your passport would now read citizen of heaven. Citizen of heaven. And what that means is that while you live right here on planet Earth, you should always have this slightly uncomfortable feeling because as a follower of Jesus, you recognize this is no longer your home. Like you understand you are just passing through. So, for example, you can travel to Europe. I mean, you can go to France and England and Spain. You can enjoy the sights, the sounds, the, the food, the wine, the cheese, the bread. But that whole time that you're going through there, you live with this ultimate reality that, hey, Europe's not my home. This is my home. And then it goes on to say, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news. That means that when you make this decision to follow Christ, you recognize that wherever you go, you represent him. You represent the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's come back to this passport idea. When I was traveling through Europe, I realized that people were going to make some judgments about Americans based on how I conducted myself as an American traveling through their country. And based on what they saw in me, they could conclude, you know, stupid Americans, arrogant Americans, selfish Americans. Kind of like when Karen and I traveled to Germany. We were in Germany. We stayed in this youth hostel one night, and then we went down to have breakfast together, and our server didn't speak English. So we did our best to order coffee and tea, muffins and pastries, and he took our order, and then he left. And we waited and waited. About 15 minutes goes by, and we notice at the table next to us, there's like eight or ten, you know, people, and they're all speaking German. And as we're sitting there, Karen looks over at their table, and they notice on, her, on their table they have baskets of croissants and pastries and breads. And she, she just goes to herself, oh, it must be a help yourself kind of deal. So she gets up from her table, from our table. She walks over to their table and she says, oh, excuse me. She reaches over and grabs the baskets of bread. She comes back to our table and sits down. <laughs> well, these guys, like, they go totally silent. And as Karen sits down, our server walks in with our bread and pastries. <laughs> so you can imagine... Some stranger comes up to your table and takes your food off your table. <laughs> and I thought I heard someone under the breath say, stupid Americans. <laughs> now, now, here's why I'm saying all this. 
do you know that when you become a Christian, it's, it's no longer just about you. People in this world will make some judgments and they will draw some conclusions about Jesus, about the church, about what it means to be a Christian by what they see in you. And the last thing we want people saying is, all oh, those stupid Christians, those self-righteous Christians, those arrogant, hypocritical Christians. See, we want to carry ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel so that when people see our lives, they say, loving, kind, generous, compassionate, Christian. They go, that's what it must mean to follow Christ. That's what Jesus must be like. And then on your outline, the verse continues by saying this. Paul writes, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are what? Standing together like as a team with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Here Paul is, he's upholding the high value of unity. And when he says standing together, it kind of makes me think of the children's game, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Peter right over, right? How many of you have ever played Red Rover as a kid? You know how the game works. You lock arms and then someone from the other team, they run as fast as you can. They want to break through your lines of defense. But see, as you lock arms together, you can absorb the blow and then if they don't break through, you capture that person for your team. Do you know, that's a, that's a lot like how we win people to faith in Christ. When you stand together, you can absorb the blows of life. And then we win people to Jesus by our unity. That's why Jesus said this in John 13, 35 on your outline. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He's saying how you stand together, how you lock arms together, how you love one another, that's how we win. Because it's a team sport, and the first quality is we focus on team progress over personal performance. <laughs> All right, so on verse 27 there, it said... At the, end of, at the end of the verse, it says, fighting together for the faith. And that leads us to our second point. Team players fight for team unity. Team players fight for team unity. They don't fight against each other. They fight for each other. What about you? Are you fighting for what matters most or fighting over what matters least? You can be fighting at the dinner table about, or fighting in the kitchen about what's going to be for dinner. But then at the dinner table, if you have your choice of food and there are daggers coming at you from others' eyes or there's a chill in the air, the meal is awful, right? You can win the battle but lose the war. You can win the conflict but lose the relationship. You can win the power struggle with your teenager or with your parent and yet build the wall higher and higher. You can win the argument with your spouse and yet extinguish the good feelings between you. You can win the political debate with your coworker, but lose the chance to influence them toward Jesus. You can win the fight, but lose the relationship. Now, how about in churches? Here are some things that people in churches have fought over. You ready? They have fought over the appropriate length of the pastor's beard. Uh, there was a dis dispute in a church because at the Lord's Supper, they used cran grape juice instead of pure grape juice. 
There was a fight over which picture of Jesus to hang in the foyer. There was a disagreement over the term, using the term pot luck instead of pot blessing. And then my favorite, an argument over whether or not to have gluten-free bread served at communion. So these are funny, these are silly, but even more, they are sad because it's not worth it, right? It's not worth fighting over the minors at the risk of the majors. Not when people in our community are headed toward an eternity separated from God. In Mark 3.23, it says, A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. A house divided cannot stand. Can we just agree together today that we will not allow things like that to divide us, to steal our love for each other, to take away from what God wants to do in this place and in our future. I'm so proud of the unity that we have here at Crossroads. I can, if I can put the mama bear hat on for just a second, I am so proud and thankful for the health and the unity that we have experienced for so many years as a church. And good job, Crossroads, for protecting our unity in that way. Continuing in Philippians 2, 1 and 2, it says, if, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? A better translation here would really be, since there is encouragement and comfort from Christ and fellowship together. The Amplified Version says, And yes, we have it in abundance. Because God has so generously lavished these blessings on us, how can we not change the way we relate to others? The verse goes on, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Paul is talking to the church at Philippi here and also to us and saying what is worth fighting for is unity in the church. Many churches have feuded, even been brought down by stupid things. But what does it mean to fight for unity in the church? One, it means to refuse to gossip. It means that when you talk about somebody, you never do it negatively. You only do it in a way that you would do it in their very presence with you there. It means letting go of my preferences for a higher purpose, for something that matters more. It means fighting for it means being loyal to your, to your church family. It means when you have a disagreement with somebody, you talk to them and you work it out. You don't bail any more than you would your own family. You do whatever it takes to, pr to preserve that family. And then it means fighting for our community, fighting for the issues that we face as a community, fighting for the needs that are out there and also in here. We are better together, and our vision of what God wants to do among us and through us is so much greater than anything that divides us. When it says we agree wholeheartedly with each other, it doesn't mean we agree about everything, about every verse, every theological point, about how we do seating arrangements in worship, about the songs that we sing, about where we park. It means we agree about the more important things. It means we... Um, we agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We agree that he died and resurrected for us. And that knowing that and receiving that into our own lives and, and to a person's life is the greatest need of every individual on the planet. And it's our purpose in life, individually and collectively, to help people to know that. 
It means being in so agreement with God's plan to bring people into a love relationship with Christ that everything else is tiny by comparison. And then in the things that we don't agree on, we still have a tender heart of love for each other, even in those things. That's why our uh, church's statement of faith begins with a wonderful statement. It says, in the essentials, we have unity. In the non-essentials, we have we uh, have diversity, and in all things, we show love. Paul says, if you have loved well, if you have been loved well, you ought to love well, right? How can we not? Love changes the game. When I, w- I grew up in a broken, dysfunctional home, and when I was 16 years old, a family that barely knew me took me in, and they told me about the love of Jesus. And they showed me, more importantly, the love of Jesus in a way I had never seen before. And it changed everything for me. It changed my present then, and it changed every day of my future since then. Love changes everything. Who does God want you to love that way today? So Paul says, with one heart, one mind, and one purpose, working together, we move forward for the sake of the gospel, because what unites us is infinitely greater than anything that divides us. So what else should be different about us and unify us because we have experienced the love of Christ? It goes on to say in verse 3, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but thinking of others too. Team players think about the whole team, the whole family, the whole life group, the whole church. I was talking with someone the other day that said, you know, I used to come home from work really tired, and I'd say to my wife, gosh, I'm so tired. I don't want to go to life group tonight. But then we started thinking, you know, the couple that leads our life group, they have prepared for us. They have prayed for us. They're counting on us to be there. He said, now we're committed, man. We go there every week, and it is so amazing when we come together hungry for God's word, loving each other, looking to God to do great things among us. It it is awesome, he said. And, you know, it's so great to have people who are committed to you. But to have that, you have to be committed to them also. You can't just drop in when it's convenient and then expect people to be there for you when it matters most in your life. Don't be selfish. Let's be team-ish. Let's be community-ish. Focus your attention not on what people think of you, says Paul, but on how to elevate others. Think even more than you think about how many likes you might be getting on Instagram or Facebook. Think even more about how you can be a blessing to your community, to this church community. Think about what others need and want. You know, I got a text from my friend Lena this week that I wanted to share with you. And it says this. It says, um, she wrote to me, recalling my past and my tough freshman year in college because I came, before I came to know my God and the friend he used. Thank you, in all caps. Lena had come here from another country when I met her my first day of college. We were in French class together, and something about her just drew me in. And we started talking and building a bit of a friendship. And I said, hey, why don't we start carpooling to classes together in the mornings? And so we started doing that. And over a year, I was just getting to know her and loving on her and sharing Christ with her here and there. And I'll never forget the day that she called me and said, Karen, I want to become a Christian. 
And I ran over there and we talked about that and we prayed together. And I'll never forget the day where I picked her up from her home for her baptism because her family would have no part in it. And Lena has been an incredible leader and servant in her church for now over three decades. And I can't imagine what it, what it might have been if that day I had been looking down, not at my cell phone because we didn't have those, but looking down at my textbook and instead of looking up and being ready for who God wanted me to connect with. What if I'd missed that opportunity? And honestly, how many times have I missed that opportunity? and divine appointments that God might have had for me. How many times have you missed those as well? Let's show up each day in life, fully present, ready to embrace each other and the people that God brings in our path, ready to have our antennas up and know who God wants us to hone in on and to love. Let's be game changers in our circles of influence. It could change everything for someone and for you and I. And let's be so committed to unity in this place that we don't let anything divide us or destroy our love for each other or extinguish the vision that God has for us. Awesome. Thank you. You know, when Karen shared that story about Lena said, I'm ready to become a Christian today. I wonder if today's your day. I wonder if there's something in your heart that says, I'm ready to become a Christian. Man, we would love to see that happen for you and invite you to be part of the team, to become a team player, because here's what team players do. They focus on team progress, how to move the ball forward for the church. They Team players, they fight for team unity. But the third thing on your outline, this is what team players do. I mean, they play. They get in the game. You know, one time a friend of mine told me, he said, you know, Paul, every time you go see and watch a professional football game, here's what you see. You see 22 players in desperate need of rest surrounded by 80,000 spectators in desperate need of exercise. That's football right there. See, here's what I'm trying to say here. Like when you put on the jersey of a Christ follower, you're not just saying, hey, I love my team, I follow my team. You are saying, it's a, it's a call to say, get off the sidelines and get in the game. And can I tell you, there's just something about getting in the game. Man, it, it builds bonds, it unifies you, it creates what I call the camaraderie of the committed. And you know, that's what the Apostle Paul is inviting you to when he challenges you to be a game changer in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 on your outline. Let's walk through this passage together. Apostle Paul says, you should have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not consider equality with God as something to cling to. Like he wasn't thinking of just his own personal stats, he was thinking of you. So instead, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave, and he was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Now, would you underline the phrase, the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And as you're doing that, let me ask you, how's your attitude these days? Do you have the attitude of Christ? I mean, think about it. Are you willing to let go of your privileges and your pleasures and your preferences? That's what Jesus did. I mean, he literally stepped down 
from his throne in heaven, and he came down to this broken, messed up world, and he, I don't know how to say it, like he, he took one for the team, for you and me. I mean, think about it. The perfect, sinless son of God, he allowed himself to be betrayed and beaten and mocked and spit on. A crown of thorns thrust on his head. He took nails and was crucified out of his great love for you and me so that we can be forgiven and restored and receive help and hope and the gift of eternal life. And friends, let me be clear. When the Bible says the attitude of Jesus Christ, man, do you know his attitude was one of joy? Like he had joy for what he did. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I mean, think about it, friends. Jesus, his attitude wasn't, you know, stupid sinners. Why do I have to like be beaten and mocked and and crucified and they don't even say thank you? I'm sick of them. Man, he didn't say that. Do you know, for the joy, for the joy of having you and me on his team as his family, his followers, man, he, he embraced the suck so that we could be saved. Friends, this is so important when you think about your attitude. Now, having the same attitude of Jesus means this. Would you write this down? Here's the attitude. It means I will let go of my preferences for what I love even more, my God and his gospel. Man, I have preferences where way I would like things and way I like to see things done and experience things, but I'm willing to let go of what I'd like and what I prefer for what I love most, my God and his gospel. In fact, this makes me think of some little things like right here in the service, like thinking about where I sit and where I park and where I serve. Like, are you willing to get in the game? Like, get in children's ministry so that our little ones can learn that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Or get on the welcome team so that every person who comes here gets a, a, a happy welcome to the church where they feel welcome and wanted by God and us. Or get on the security team so that when people come here, they have a good place to park and they know that this is a safe, loving place for them to come to. Or get on the, the creative arts team where you can use your skills as a musician, vocalist, or tech skills, like sign up for this backstage pass, friends. I'm saying all this because God is calling you and inviting you to become part of his great team. And then this passage closes with this great declaration that tells us why we would do that. Check it out. What it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, it says, therefore, God elevated him, like lifted up Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What this verse is saying is that because of what Jesus did in sacrificing everything, God lifted him up, gave him the highest place of honor. I want to tell you because of what Jesus did for me, like he died for me and forgave me and gave me life and help and hope. Because of everything Jesus did for me, I willingly bow my knee and declare Jesus Christ is my Lord 
Now, what about you? I want to give you a chance to make your declaration right now as we pray together. Would you pray with me? You just open up your heart. I want you to think about that all Jesus did out of his powerful and personal love for you, he came to save you and forgive you and give you the hope of heaven. He died in your place, paid for your sins, and then resurrected from the dead to show you that he has the power to help you in this life and carry you to the next. And because of all that Jesus has done, would you just say in your heart right now, Jesus, right now I open up to you. Come live in my life and be my Lord. Forgive my many sins, save me, help me, and make me part of your team for your glory and help me live as a citizen of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.